0: Welcome to the Michigan Out of Doors Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike with our co-host, Logan Schultz. And the podcast is brought to you by MUCC, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, and our on-the-ground program, hunters, anglers, and trappers volunteering for fish and wildlife habitat on public land. And that's supported by the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, Wildlife Habitat Grants, the Saginaw Bay Watershed Initiative Network, and Outdoor Life's Open Country Program. Here's the show.
1: Is this the 20th episode? Well, we're recording.
0: I think this is the 20th episode, so welcome to the 20th episode. It's a milestone of the Michigan Out of Doors podcast, the voice of conservation. I am Drew Youngdike, M-U-C-C Chief Information Officer. We have with us Logan, the bear hunter, bear slayer, hipster hunter. Wow. Hipster beard, <laughs> ironic sweater wearing... Schultz.
1: One of us lives in Ann Arbor. Uh, <laughs> one of us posts pictures of all his meals on social media channels.
0: But only one of us is wearing an ironic cr- Christmas sweater with a hipster mm-hmm. beard. Nothing. You are like one step away from skinny jeans and a man bun. Nope.
1: There is nothing <laughs> ironic about uh, celebrating the Christmas season. At all.
0: So before we get too often to the
1: proverbial weeds, we have with us as well. Sarah
0: M-U-C-C's newly christened Wildlife volunteer coordinator. How you doing, Sarah?
2: I'm doing great, thank you, Drew.
0: So, actually, let's let's start talk about that to start off with. So, Sarah, she's been on the podcast before. Uh, she was placed with MUCC through the Huron Pines AmeriCorps program and did an excellent job. Such an excellent job that we hired her on staff. And so now Sarah is coordinating our wildlife volunteer habitat projects and you actually just had one yesterday at Allegan state game area
2: yes we went to the fenville farm unit and continued a project that had been done previously uh, to help aspen regeneration
0: so we did that project uh last year about the same time um so you went back and expanded on the work we did last year um First of all, what did you see from the work that was done last year? And this is part of the, just so you guys know, this is part of the Wildlife Habitat Grant Program from the DNR um, that we did the project under last year and this year again as well. So last year we did the same thing. We cut down aspen trees that were getting too old so we can get some new growth in there. Are they seeing some new growth in there? Is that having the intended effects that we wanted?
2: Yes, there's a large amount of forbs that came up from that open area.
0: Okay, and for folks who don't have a biology background, (laughs) what are forbs and why are they important?
2: Um, Forbs are a lot of like shrub plants and thorns, and they make for really good cover and browse for deer.
0: Awesome. So what other species are going to benefit from this
2: project? Um, Small game will benefit because we made rabbit brush piles as well from the aspen trunks that we cut down.
0: Cool. And how many volunteers did you have come out yesterday?
2: We had 24 volunteers.
0: Oh, that's tremendous.
2: And a lot of them were from the soil and water conservation course at Grand Valley State oh, University.
0: Very cool. Did you have any, anybody else from defined groups, or was it more volunteers that heard about this online or through the MUCC structure?
2: It was mostly the Grand Valley students and then a few returning volunteers.
0: Very cool. So you got like a good group of young people now kind of involved in conservation, hunting. Yep. Of the Grand Valley students, did most of the students that come out, were they hunters and anglers or was that kind of new to them?
2: Um, it was kind of new to them. Most of them are just interested in natural resource management.
0: Okay. So did any of them express any interest in maybe coming out and trying to hunt this area that now
2: yeah, they so improved? A lot of them were not familiar with that. And Allegan State Gamera is archery only, so some of them were bow hunters already, but many are interested in trying to get into it because of that.
0: Very cool. So we might get some new,
1: dare I say it, hipster hunters. (laughs) Well, that's, uh, yeah, that would be fine if they join MUCC. (laughs) Into the fold. But that's, you know, that's frankly one of the
0: goals of both MUCC's Wildlife Habitat Program. Uh, We used to call it On the Ground. Um, It's still On the Ground, but we just like to call it MUCC's Wildlife Habitat Program now. Um, But it's also one of the goals of the Wildlife Habitat Grants, and specifically this program, is to introduce new people to outdoor activities, specifically introduce new people to hunting and fishing. And when we can engage with folks that are younger that will come out and do projects like these That may not go to one of our our traditional clubs. That's a new way for people to get involved with conservation with MUCC and hopefully get some new people out hunting and fishing as well. Cool. So we have, I guess it's been like, what, a month since we've had a podcast?
1: Something like that.
0: We had a couple things that led to that. One, we had deer season. We had the Thanksgiving break, and we had some technical difficulties that, frankly, took us a little while to solve in the form of a new cord to connect the podcast microphone to the computer. Yeah,
1: it didn't take that long to (laughs) solve. But sure, that's why it's been a month, yeah. Mainly those first two things. Um, But we're back, and we have
0: a ton of ground to cover. Um, So since the last time that we had a podcast, there have been a few uh, major pieces of legislation in Michigan that have been passed. Mm -hmm. So a couple of these we've talked about quite a bit. Um, So the first one that we're going to talk about that was recently signed into law is now Public Act 185. And this is the Hunting Access Bill. Used to be House Bill 4239. It was introduced by Representative Charles Smiley, um, a Democrat out of Burton. And The way this bill first got going is it had one provision, and that was to expand hunting access for hunters with disabilities so that they could hunt from the personal assistive mobility devices. And If you don't know what those are, uh, one of the major brands for those is track chairs. Um, they're almost like tank-tracked wheelchairs almost um, that, that can go all over the place. Under the old law, those were classified as vehicles. So if you were on one of those that was like hunting from a four-wheeler, you couldn't do it. You couldn't have an uncased firearm. Well, that's not really what they are. And so what this bill does is it makes it so that hunters with disabilities can have uncased firearms on their personal assistive mobility devices so that they can hunt from them. Um, So that opens up hunting access on that front. But then this summer, uh, we passed a resolution at MUCC to eliminate that 150-yard safety zone um, for hunting as it applies to pretty much any type of hunting except for hunting with firearms. So that means that if you're trapping, if you're bow hunting, you don't have to get written permission from every building owner within 150 yards of where you're hunting, assuming of course you have permission to hunt where you're hunting of course. Um, but we ran into problems or at least uh some of the trappers ran into problems where a neighboring landowner was preventing a trapper from trapping on his own land uh because that trapper would have to get written permission from that neighboring landowner and when you think about something like trapping or bow hunting it doesn't require that same distance as a firearm does you know with bow hunting you're shooting generally 40 yards and under most of the time even 30 yards and under with trapping, you're talking about a very singular location data point there where you really don't need any sort of safety zone around it. So this bill actually went through, Pat it was amended to include that safety zone language. Um, that happened at the CAMO at the Capitol rally on September 9th. And that actually passed both chambers unanimously and was signed into law on November 12th by Governor Snyder.
1: And that's a pretty quick turnaround time from convention where the resolution passed in what June, end of June. Yep, and uh, here we are four months later, five months later. That's what we do with a law. That's what we do, yeah.
0: No, it really that's what we do at Michigan United Conservation Clubs. You know, that idea came from some individuals within the trappers It came from the bow hunters and they all kind of had the same idea it was also sponsored by the michigan hunting dog federation mm-hmm. um and logan you know as a bear hunter you know if your dog runs off and happens to run within 150 yards of a building there was confusion under the old law of whether that counted as hunting right you know for the purposes of that restriction so this law also you know clarified that that wasn't the case so yeah, that that resolution came forward. Um, we started working on the resolution last, I think, February or March, working on getting the language right. Um, that passed at our convention and was amended into that law that was amending the existing part of the law. And yeah, now it's literally the law of the state of Michigan coming from just an individual who had an idea that brought it through our policy process at MUCC. Right. That's also the way that the other package passed that I, that was just recently signed into law, and that's the anti-poaching package.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we have talked about this package a lot. Yeah, quite a bit. Which we should have because it's an important package. Um, you know, it, it increases the penalties for poaching elk, moose, bear, waterfowl, turkey, eagles, hawks, Um, with elk especially, and Sarah, you're from up there, I'm I'm sure that you saw the reports, that they actually found another poached elk. Mm
2: -hmm,
0: I I guess it was closer to Johannesburg, I think. Um, And they're looking for information on that. Last year, there were seven poached elk. This year, there have been a couple. This law will go into effect. Actually, it has gone into effect as of December 1st. Um, And what that's going to do is make sure that if pe- when people get caught, and they're more likely to get caught because we have increased law enforcement out there um, in the form of COs, but when they get caught, they're going to get hard, hit hard in the pocketbook. If you get caught poaching an elk, there's a minimum fine of $5,000. There's another fine structure that's based on the number of points that the elk has. So you could get fined up to $10,000 for poaching an elk, The first time you get caught, you're losing your hunting license for 15 years. If you get caught another time, you don't get to hunt anything ever again in the state of Michigan. And with the Interstate Wildlife Violator Compact, a lot of the other states around the country are going to honor that as well. So you're basically going to lose your hunting privileges for a lifetime if you get caught poaching elk a second time. So we want to make sure that sticks. Same thing for moose, a little bit lower uh, penalties for some of the other species. We've gone over that a lot. There was kind of some unexpected opposition from people who apparently thought it was just getting too darn hard to poach these days.
1: Oh well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we're we're not too concerned about people that want to poach. They're not hunters, and we need to call them from the herd, um, metaphorically speaking.
1: <laughs> not not murder them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess I guess the better. A better analogy would be they're like a, a, a limb with gangrene that you need to cut off so it doesn't infect the rest of the body.
1: Again. <laughs> <laughs> Your analogies suck. <laughs> Usually it's me that's saying things like we need to murder people. <laughs> I didn't say that. We just, look, I mean, we've talked
0: about this so much, but poacher, you know, we're going to delete that whole part anyways. Probably. <laughs> yep. So we've talked about these bills a lot. You know, poachers are not hunters, but what they do is damage the reputation of hunters because the general public doesn't make that distinction. We've talked about that quite a bit. We've written about it a lot. But guess what? The debate's over. The bills have passed. It's now the law of the state of Michigan that if you poach, you're going to get hit harder in the pocketbook than you would ever imagine. So just don't do it. So there's a couple other hot issues going on in Michigan right now, though, too. Um, One of them, actually, they had a meeting up in Gaylord a few weeks ago, and that's on aquaculture. So we haven't talked about this a ton on the podcast, though we've written about it quite a bit. So there's a couple proposals to install basically cage culture, aquaculture, sometimes called net pens, in the actual waters of the Great Lakes uh, off Michigan coast, uh, primarily by like Rogers City and then again in uh, Betanac and Escanaba. And what the risk is from some of these net pen aquaculture facilities, and they're proposing to raise basically a bunch of rainbow trout, is, for lack of a, a better way to put it, a bunch of fish in one location in the Great Lakes, pooping in the same place, creating effluent, that now other fish have to swim through. They pose a risk of both escaping and breeding with the wild fish and making those wild fish less genetically fit to be able to survive the wild. Um, and they also pose a disease risk to spreading disease to wild fish. Now, one of the things that came out of this public meeting in Gaylord was basically that the they're expecting out of these two facilities to maybe create 17 jobs total and I think it was either make a million dollars total or make a million dollars per. So that's two entities will make a million dollars and employ maybe 17 people if they're lucky. What they're putting at risk is basically a sport fishery that employs over 600 people just in the charter boat industry, just on the charter boat captain side of it. Not to mention everybody who works at, you know, say fishing tackle store. You know, sporting goods store sells fishing tackle, um, washes boats, pumps gas, works at a restaurant where people come to fish. The whole sport fishing industry, you know, of the Great Lakes is estimated at like $1.7 billion. And basically, what we're doing is risking a portion of that so that two guys can make a million bucks and employ a handful of people. So, you're gonna risk like 600 jobs on the off chance that you might gain 17. Mm -hmm. I'm not a betting man, but that's a terrible bet. I don't know who in the world would bet 17 jobs at the risk of 600. I don't know who would bet a million dollars at the risk of 1.7 billion. Like, that just makes absolutely no sense. And really what these proposals are... You know, these two proposals of where they want to put these net pens in, that's not the end of the line for them. Those are like Trojan horses. Right. You know, they want to get these first-in column, you know, adaptive management column test pilot projects because they know once they get a couple of them in there, you're going to have a hard time denying the next person that wants to put them in every bay in the Great Lakes because they're going to say, well, these guys over here did it. Mm-hmm. You know, so think about every bay in the Great Lakes. Usually that's where people recreate you know, think about like Grand Travers Bay, think about Little Travers Bay, you know, think about all of those. Those are the areas where they would be most likely to put future aquaculture facilities. Those are also the areas that are often the best fishing, that now you're not going to be able to recreationally fish there because there's a big cage culture net pen there. It's just a terrible idea all around, and that's why at this public meeting, I think there were about maybe five or six industry people there speaking in favor of it. There are about 20, 25 plus just regular people either from conservation groups or just every you know anglers who heard about this and just came in to speak against it, overwhelmingly opposing this idea. Um, if you go to muCC.org, uh, we have a link in um, a blog with a with a link to the video of it. Dr. Howard Tanner used to be the DNR director back in the 60s and 70s he was actually one of the ones who really had the idea to bring in the sport fish into Michigan, you know? So he's somebody who, who truly knows what he's talking about. He had one of the best speeches I've ever seen, you know, just detailing every reason why this is a terrible idea. And that video is linked on the MUCC website.
1: Yeah. It's worth a watch. He, uh, knows what he's talking about. Absolutely. So, <laughs>
0: yeah, I got to, I got to attend that in person cause I was up there for, uh, Deer season up in mm-hmm. Um Sarah, you got up there too.
2: Yep. Right? Yep, I went up for Thanksgiving for my family and did some hunting as well.
0: Nice. see anything?
2: I did not. Well, I saw a doe, but I was not hunting for a doe up there.
1: Okay.
0: How about you, Logan? You get out deer hunting at all?
1: Yeah, I sat out a few times, but the closest I got to one uh, wasn't close enough. So neither of you got one. No, nope. I, I was lucky. I got one.
0: Um, we should have had probably Dan and Amy in here. So we had a, a flurry of texts going back. I think after the second day. Um, so on opening day, public land, and you know where this was, Logan.
1: I've got a good feeling you're going to tell us where it was, Drew. What
0: what what point are we in the in the podcast? What's the minute mark?
1: Nineteen minutes in.
0: Nineteen minutes in.
1: Yep. So this was in the Pigeon River country.
0: God's Country. God's Country. The Big Wild. The Big Wild. Place where Sarah Top over here cut her teeth running chainsaws on the trails up there. Yep. <laughs> True story. Um, so I got a nice eight point, three and a half year old. So I text you guys and the very next day we get text from Dan Eichinger. He got a nice doe. Amy got a three and a half year old doe. That was just huge deer.
1: CWD free.
0: CWD free. Amy's in the CWD zone here, so she checked her deer. Um, Actually, I checked my deer too, even though it wasn't in the CWD zone, but I wanted to know how old it was. But Amy checked hers. She found out, you know, within a couple days that it was CWD free. Um, She yeah, got a ton of venison from it. But even though Logan here did not get a deer this year.
1: Nope.
0: Um, we still were able to provide some wild game to the staff here at MUCC for a Thanksgiving lunch
1: a couple days before Thanksgiving. Yep, and in true uh, Drew fashion, you uh, posted pictures of it on your social media. Of course. Yep.
0: And on MUCC and Deer Michigan social media. Yeah, yep. But there, there's a good reason for that. I mean, For that one, there was. Absolutely. I mean, look, the biggest reason why the general public supports hunting is when they know that it's done for the meat. Yep. And it may get annoying to see constant posts of meals of venison on social media. What? No. Not for me, but I, I hear some people may feel that way. But the point is, we need to make sure that we're crystal clear and we create that impression in the general public that we hunt for meat. You know, there's lots of reasons why everybody does it, but that's the impression that's going to make sure that the general public continues to support what we do. And the only way that they're going to do that is if they're constantly reminded of it from hunters. You know, hunters are always posting pictures of, you know, the antlers, the rack, every other different part of hunting. The thing that hunters post pictures of probably the, the least right now is the food. And just about every hunter in Michigan, that's, I mean, that's, that's what you get from deer. Yeah. Is about 40 to 50 pounds of venison.
1: Right. And the uh, the trophy appeals to, you know... Current hunters, people who already hunt and can appreciate that, but the meat appeals to people who maybe aren't hunting right now.
0: Well I think the thing is the meat appeals to everybody. It's just that hunters generally aren't in the practice of posting pictures of their meals. You know, it's just not something you do, even if that is the primary reason. So what we're trying to do, and we're doing this through the Deer Michigan benison poll. Yep. Is just trying to encourage hunters to to be a little bit more open about sharing that part of the meat, both sharing that that's why you're hunting, sharing the meals you're creating from it, and sharing the actual meat itself. And that's what we were trying to do with the the Thanksgiving meal as part of hunting is is sharing the meat that's been part of hunting since we started
1: hunting about 1.8 million years ago. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Logan loves... You said 1.8 million, I think you meant what, (laughs) (laughs) 6,000? Oh, no. Now we're
0: going to get in trouble there. No, seriously, you know, he's <laughs> human beings as homo sapiens have been around for about 200,000 years. We've been hunting that entire time. But in previous iterations of humans, we've been around for about 1.8 million years that we've been hunting. I like to say that's what separates us from the apes, hunting and eating meat and sharing that meat. It's how we learn to talk. It's how we got communication, you know.
1: It all stems back to meat.
0: It all sends back to hunting and eating meat. Yeah, and then the other the other hot political topic, actually there's a couple more at the federal level that are going on too. Um, a panel of scientists actually came out. Uh, they're, they're actually put together by the National Wildlife Federation, um, and they came out and put out a letter that they sent to the Department of the Interior where they specifically said that wolves in the Great Lakes need to be delisted. Yep. Um, we've talked about this a lot. They're so far over the minimum delisting requirements that, You can't even look back and see where that line is anymore. Um, But it was like originally 200 wolves in Michigan was going to be the line for this species has recovered in this
1: area. Blew past that line a while ago.
0: Oh, over a decade ago. Yep. And one of the points that the scientists make in this letter is that when you basically make it impossible to take a fully recovered species off, off the endangered species list, then you erode public trust- in the Endangered Species Act itself. You know, think about this experience with wolves. Now you have a species that's been recovered for well over a decade. Every attempt to actually delist it and return to state management has been met with constant frustration and basically procedural lawsuits by the Humane Society of the United States. It's become almost impossible to remove this now fully recovered species off the list because of the legal roadblocks and technicalities that keep getting thrown in the way. And that erodes support. So think about what's going to happen the next time that they need public support to put a a truly endangered species on the list. People aren't going to support that. They're going to oppose putting a truly endangered species on the list because they understand that once it goes on the list, even once that species has recovered, it is never coming off. So I think it, it really has spurred a renewed push in the federal Congress to get wolves off the list and they've now included some language in a spending bill that's going forward um, that that, is, that will do that, um, assuming, that mo- assuming that that it moves forward. So that's one thing at the federal level that's positive to see. The other thing that we really need to see at the federal level is a renewal of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you that are familiar with the Michigan Natural Resources Trust Fund, the Land and Water Conservation Fund is basically the federal version of that. Takes royalties from offshore, offshore. That's a tough word to pronounce, by the way. Offshore um, oil and gas royalties that belong to the people of the U.S. takes that non-renewable resource and reinvests it in public recreation land. So this buys, uh, for instance, um, hunting access, boating access, especially out west. It buys. Um, federal hunting access because they have a lot of landlocked federal lands that are the only places where you're able to hunt. And this will buy kind of those squares that patch in checkerboard areas so that you can actually access a lot of the land that's already in public hands uh, for hunting. In Michigan, a lot of times what it does is it, for instance, even in Otsego County, um, put a lot of money to renovating the state park there uh, so that you can draw more tourists to those areas. Um, It put a lot of money into the Sleeping Bear Sand Dunes, you know, a place that draws a lot of tourists and injects a local economy with that kind of tourist money, buys fishing access, buys, you know, public hunting access. So this is something that literally costs the taxpayers nothing. It's coming from royalties, from gas and oil that we, the people, already own. And when we sell it to, you know, for development to oil companies, the royalties, they pay on that. We take that. We invest it in public hunting and fishing access. And so this is a a program, the Land Water Conservation Fund, that this is the first time in 50 years that it hasn't been renewed. And so what we're asking is everybody to call your congressman and ask them to renew the Land and Water Conservation Fund. We have covered a lot, a very wide variety of things from the state to the local level and right back to my favorite place, the Pigeon River Country. We've talked about Logan's hipster beard. Nope. (laughs) But that's fine, because we're welcoming new people to the outdoors all the time.
1: Yeah, I'm just doing my part (laughs) to make them feel welcome.
0: (laughs) Sarah, for the Wildlife Habitat Program, what do we have coming up next?
2: Next, we have a chainsaw safety course that will be taught by Chuck Oslin from Bay College. That will be on Saturday, January 16th here at the MUCC office in Lansing.
0: Very cool Go to muCC.org/ on the ground to sign up for that chainsaw safety training. I took it last year and I tell you what it it made me a much better chain sawyer. Um you know it's something that I'd highly recommend to anybody that whether you're gonna come out on one of our volunteer projects or just do some chainsawing around the house, you will benefit from going through this class because it it keeps you safe but not only does it keep you safe but it makes you much more efficient. At operating the chainsaw, so even if you think okay, I'm plenty safe, I'm never going to get hurt, you're going to learn some techniques that frankly are going to make you more efficient. It's going to teach you how to make more cuts and know when to make those cuts and when not to make those cuts. So, um, it's a great class. It's just a day and it's uh, free. All you got to do is get here and sign up. So, uh, go to mucc.org to do that. You know, we've talked about a lot of legislation that we've already passed this year. The only reason that we can pass those laws is because we're made up of 40,000 members like you. Um, If you haven't renewed yet this year, now's a great time to do it. We have some really cool merchandise um, on our website at MUCC.org. And if you're not a member, understand that the way that we pass laws to crack down on poaching, the way that we pass laws to protect the public lands where you hunt and fish, is by having this organization called Michigan United Conservation Clubs. Um, we've been around since 1937, and as we talked about, passing laws that protect our rights to hunt, fish, and trap, that's what we do. So become a member of MUCC today. Join at MUCC.org.
1: Thank you for listening to another edition of Michigan Out of Doors Podcast. Defend your rights to hunt, fish, and trap by joining MUCC at MUCC.org.